My name is Elizabeth Poe. And I'm Derek. Um, I'm originally from Ohio. Um, I moved to Virginia in the year 2000. And you've lived here your whole life? My whole life. <laughs> so we started coming to the Heights right after our first son was born. He was about five months old. Um, and it was when the Midlothian campus was over across the street at the movie theater. Um, I started coming with my coworker um, because I was really looking to find a church. We had been talking a lot about finding a church and um, just really weren't finding anything that we liked. And so she invited me, so I went. Um, and Derek was not a fan of the movie theater atmosphere. So um, he didn't come for a few weeks. Um, and then I just kept talking about it. And so I said, I'm going to keep going here because I really like it. And eventually tagged along. Um, once I started coming to the campus, it was, uh, you know, it was it was obvious that it was a family atmosphere. We really enjoyed being there in the theater. And then, of course, moving to the new space, it was it was awesome as well. And we were part of, you know, building it here or, or doing all the construction here to update it. Um, so fast forward a couple years, um, our son was two and um, I had started doing the women's Bible studies here. We were doing a Priscilla Shire um, Bible study, and I was working on it one day at work um, during my lunch break, and I felt um, overwhelmingly convicted while I was um, filling out some of the questions. Uh, it said, what is one thing God wants you to do that you don't want to do? And it was almost as if um, I wasn't the one writing it. Um, someone else was writing it for me, and I just wrote out, he wants me to get pregnant and to quit my job. And I sort of dropped the pen and was like, that's not, um, nope, that's not that was weird. So I'm going to just pretend like I didn't write that and move on to the next question. And it was over and over again, the same sort of answer I was getting. So I went home that day and I just told Derek, look, um, I'm feeling really convicted to, um, get pregnant and quit my job. And he was like, okay, yeah, sure. Let's do that. Um, so he did the numbers and he's like, you know what? You're right. We don't have the money. We cannot afford to have any more children. Four days later, um, we were pregnant. Um, we, took the positive pregnancy test. So that was that. And we weren't really sure what we were going to do. And then we went to our first ultrasound at eight weeks. And um, the ultrasound tech said that it was twins. Um, so there we were, pregnant with twins. And uh, child care for three children under three is astronomical. Um, we were not going to be able to afford to pay for it. You know, we added up the bills um, and the income and the uh, numbers didn't match up. We were not going to make enough money to pay the bills. Um, we were a couple hundred dollars short, actually. So um, we spent the summer trying to figure out how to increase our our savings account. And it, it filled up really fast. Um, faster than I think we can even still account for. We're not right. really even yeah. sure how that happened mm -hmm. so quickly. Um, it had taken us years to get to where we were. And then like over a summer, it like almost doubled. It became very clear to me that quitting my job was what I was supposed to do. Um, so we talked about it and we just made the decision, but here we are, we have more than enough. We have more than we should, a lot more than we should actually. Um, and that's, you know, part of God's plan. He knew what 
what we needed. He knew how it was going to work out. He knew how people were going to support us. Um, and he made it work. So, and we had some blessings before that, which is really what like convicted us more is that some people from church, some family had, had, had provided for us in ways that we weren't expecting. And we we're like, man, this, this may really work out. And that's been true, um, for us at the Heights in general. Um, when the twins were first born, I don't think we paid for groceries for three months. Probably, yeah. Um, yeah. Just because people came and brought us food or they got us groceries or whatever, um, we just didn't have to worry about it. And I think mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff is what's kept us going um, in the times that it's been really hard to keep going. <laughs> yeah, and it goes beyond the financial um, assistance. I mean, people have taken the time to to watch the children, which three children at three or younger is, is a handful. I always had trouble, and I continue to have trouble, even though people have been so um, giving. Accepting gifts from people, I always feel like they should have some sort of reason, like I'm, I should be indebted to this person. If they're giving me something, I need to be prepared to give them something back. They, I owe them something. Um, and so just... Accepting people's gifts and not feeling like I have to give them something in return, that they're just giving it to me because they care about me and that's it. They care about us. They care about our family. And um, it's been really humbling, really um, amazing. Yeah. Isn't that an exciting story? You know, what I, I love about that is just hearing what the church can be, and I'm pretty sure this is God's idea, what the church can be in, in the midst of a person's life, their decision-making. They're just living and growing in the Lord. We're so excited that, that Derek and Elizabeth, who are out there listening right now at our Midlothian campus, uh, are a part of our church family. He was just uh, ordained as a deacon in our fellowship out at the Midlothian campus, serving there now. And uh, yeah, we're, we're applauding for you, Derek. We're excited uh, about that. And man, folks, that's, you know what, that's what we want for our church to be is just to see that multiplied in, in life after life, uh, not only at one location or two locations, but, but everywhere we can get in the 804 and give that opportunity for everybody to be telling a story about what God and the church is meaning in their lives. Amen. I think God has a big vision for our church. Be honest with you, I don't know exactly how it happens. I think God's going to have to reveal, God's going to have to provide, and, and God's going to make the way. But we certainly trust Him to do that, don't we? Amen. Amen. Wow, the story we are looking at today uh, is, is such an important story. And, and I think it is, it's particularly important for the American Christian. And when I say American, what I mean by that is as Americans, we, we tend to be very individualistic. We, we tend to be very independent. And those are good qualities. But they are qualities that can make difficult some things that are very important to us being the church. For instance, most of us don't arrive at church today thinking about how much we need each other. I mean, that's just not our nature. We, we don't walk into the building thinking about our responsibility to each other. Or, or maybe a thought we have even less than that 
is that my own walk with Christ, my own health and strength in the Lord is impacting the health and strength of this place. I mean, that's true for any church, but I I guess ours was a little bit on the larger side. I mean, three different services today. You'll be home in the middle of lunch today, and we're still going to be going doing church here. Three different services, two different campuses. Pretty hard to think my life is having an impact on the health and strength of this place. And yet, not only is your life having an impact on the health and strength of this place, but you're going to be held accountable for it. I doubt a single one of us has had that thought this week, this year, maybe ever. And yet, that's exactly what we're going to see today. That's what Joshua chapter 7 is going to give us some insight to. So if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to... Joshua chapter 7, that is the sixth book into the Bible. It's right after Deuteronomy, right before Judges, if you're kind of thumbing through there. If you're using a Bible app and can change translations around, I'm reading today from the New Living Translation. I usually read from the English Standard uh, Version, but today the the New Living Translation, if you want to switch to that. But uh, Joshua chapter 7, and I'm actually going to begin reading with the last verse in Joshua chapter 6. So let's, let's do that. Now, if you remember last week, we left the Israelites at the border of the promised land. Failed. They failed to enter because they did not trust God. They did not believe God, and they lost that promise. And so a lot has happened since last week. 40 years has passed. Moses has died. Joshua is now the leader. They have successfully entered the promised land, had their first great victory uh, with the walls of Jericho. That may ring a bell to some of you and that story. And so that's what has happened as we arrive at Joshua chapter 6 verse 27. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his reputation spread throughout the land. But Israel violated the instructions about things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things, so the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Achan was the son of Carmi, a descendant of Zimri, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai, East of Bethel, near Bethaven, when they returned, they told Joshua, Come on, man, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't, it won't take any more than two or 3,000 to go and attack Ai, since there are so few of them. Don't make all our people struggle to go up there. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events and their courage melted away. Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothing in dismay, threw dust on their heads and bowed bowed face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. Then Joshua cried out, oh, sovereign Lord, why? Why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you're going to let the Amorites kill us? Now, let let me stop right here just so we understand what has kind of happened. They've just defeated Jericho. 
Let's pretend they're a football team. Last Sunday was opening day of the season, and, and they defeated last year's Super Bowl champs. And this week, they're going to play the middle school, the JV middle school at Colonial Heights. I mean, this shouldn't even be happening. It shouldn't even be a game. It's not even fit. And they lost. That's the surprise. That's why Joshua was going, what, 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 what just happened here? Verse 10, get up. But the Lord said to Joshua, why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. And they've not only stolen them, but they've lied about it. And they've hidden things among their own belongings. That is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. And so now the Israelites, to go forward, they have to identify what happened? Who, who did this? What's the problem? And you got, uh, you got a nation of two million people out there. So the Lord says, okay, bring the nation together. Okay, and we'll start with the tribes. And, we'll, and they're going to draw lots. And they're going to hone down. They're going to go from 12 tribes to one. Well, let's just read it. Verse 16. Early the next morning, Joshua brought the tribes of Israel before the Lord. The tribe of Judah was singled out. Then the clans of Judah came forward, and the clan of Zerah was singled out. Then the families of Zerah came forward, and the family of Zimri was singled out. Won't you imagine about right now, Achan's getting nervous? I mean, he's got to kind of... Matter of fact, when Judah was chosen, don't you think he kind of saw where this was headed? He knew he was guilty, didn't say a word. Every member of Zimri's family was brought forward person by person, and Achan was singled out. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, by telling the truth. Make your confession and tell me what you have done. Don't hide it from me. Achan replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon. Some of your translations may say Shinar. Same place. Shinar is the more ancient name. Babylon is what it would come to be known as. I saw this beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins and a a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. And I wanted them so much. We don't always make our best decisions when we want something so much, do we? I wanted them so much that I took them. They're hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver buried deeper than the rest. So Joshua sent some men to make a search. They ran to the tent, found the stolen goods hidden there just as Achan had said with the silver buried beneath the rest. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites. Then they laid them on the ground in the presence of the Lord. And then Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan, the silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his sons, daughters, cattle, donkey, sheep, goats, tent, and everything he had, and they brought it to the valley of Acre. Then Joshua said to Achan, why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will now bring trouble on you. And all the Israelites stoned Achan and his family and burned their bodies. They piled a great heap of stones over Achan, which remains to this day. And that is why this place has been called the Valley of Trouble ever since. So the Lord was no longer angry. That's a troubling story, isn't it? There's just a lot about that. We go, what? I've struggled with that story almost every time I I read it. it. It just, you know, it seems like if I'm understanding this, 36 soldiers lost their lives 
because of somebody who wasn't even in the battle. Somebody back at home and what they did wrong. And then we see the whole family of Achan lose their lives. And that, not sure that seems right. That doesn't seem fair either. And we might even say, as we read this, for a kind of a minor indiscretion. I mean, it's not good, but that's not like the worst thing somebody could do, is it? Now, minor is my word, not the scripture's word. It just doesn't add up to me, and, and, I, and I've struggled with this story, but, I, but I'll tell you something, and this might sound kind of strange. One thing that helped me to understand this story was my sons going into the army. And, and I imagine some soldiers in here will understand this, because as my boys tell me about what they're learning, or they're in this exercise, or they're in this school, you, you begin to learn one of the biggest things they teach is minor details have huge impacts. Minor details cost lives. Last summer, my uh, son Colin went to uh, Aerosalt School. And it's a school that has a somewhat significant failure rate. And, and, and most of the people failing out of Aerosalt School are not failing because they're not good soldiers. They're, they're not failing because they, they broke them and they couldn't do it. In most cases, they're failing because of details. Real events, things that happened in, 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 their, in his school. Guy, guy came to an exercise, forgot to fill up his water bottle. Failed. Not, not a test. Failed the school. You're out. Because of a water bottle? No, they get packing lists. You know, they'll have certain nights. You go home and you go back to base and you, you have to pack your rucksack according to the packing list. And they're going to check on that. And this is packing, this rucksack's like 95 pounds. So there's a lot in there. Just one little thing. Guy forgets a pen. A pen. I mean, how many battles are won and lost because of a pen? This seems kind of minor. I don't know how minor or major is it. He failed out of the school because he didn't bring a pen. Well, what's the point of that? The, the point is minor details, safety violations put me at risk. When I'm at risk, the team is at risk. When the team is at risk, the mission is at risk. And when the mission is risk, people die. That's real life. We talk about fair all day long. It's just real. Achan was not careful about the details of obedience. And people suffered. That's real life. Now, to understand this story, all that reading I just did, we really need to read one, one more verse. Can we read one more? Let's understand what just happened in chapter 7. Go back to chapter 6, verse 18. Chapter 6, verse 18. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you, you the individual, will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. I think it's so important to see that verse because, you know, some of us, maybe more than some of us, it's, it's easy to kind of get in this view, this attitude of God that he's, he's, he's big, he's strong, he's angry. He may be a little mean sometimes. And he's looking to catch you. He's looking to judge you. I mean, I think God gets a little buzz out of judging people. And we ignore that Scripture says over and over and over that nothing like that is true. The Scripture actually says God takes no joy in bringing judgment. 
Folks, this is not God pulling out the fine detail and saying, Katya, you didn't read this, kill him. God actually said one command, as you go to Jericho, here's one issue, and one of you can bring trouble on everybody. I mean, that was straight up. It was very clear one person can have that impact. Now, what, what, what's going on here is, that, is they're, they're coming into the promised land. Jericho is in front of them. And God says, everything in Jericho is mine. It's a little bit of a test. It, it's it's going to be a little bit of an act of faith. Everything is mine. You don't get to keep anything. All of it will be an offering up to me. Now, every town you defeat after that is all yours. But the first one is mine. That's what it means when it says the things devoted to destruction. And, and there's a list inside of chapter 6, but by and large, it's everything. The, the, the furniture, the animals, the, the clothing, the money, the lives, everything is devoted to destruction. Everything belongs to God. Folks, that's a test we all take every day. Every day we're taking that test. Will I choose God or will I choose to honor that which I want so much? Man, this is a principle that runs throughout Scripture. It's called the the principle of first fruits. We give to God first. I, 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 I give, we give to God the first part of the paycheck and then we trust him to make the rest of the budget work. Or do we say, no, I need to use the first part to pay for all I wanted last month. And while that sounds like a financial statement, it is not just a financial statement. I give to God first of the money, first of the time, first of my passions, first of my priority, the first of the day. Why do we not do it? I don't have the money. I don't have the time. It's too much. Is it? Honor the Lord first. Choose to honor him first and then watch what he can do with the rest. Man, it's a whole other principle. It's a whole other message. But I want, to want you to see there is that there, there, all of Jericho was devoted to destruction. God said, it's all mine. Give it all to me. You get everything that comes after this. And one person breaking this can bring trouble on everybody. And Achan just straight up ignored that, didn't he? You know, he did, he, he wanders up and he, he sees, I mean, to put it in our kind of culture language, he saw a really nice jacket. This is my favorite jacket. Saw a really nice jacket and a, and a wad of cash. I mean, it's a whole city here. There's a whole city. What, what's a jacket? What, what's a little bit of cash? When a whole city, who's going to notice? Who's going to see? Isn't it funny what we do because nobody sees? You know, I'm, I'm assuming that most of us in here believe that God is everywhere, right? Mostly we believe that. And because God is everywhere, God sees everything. Think of how much you did this week that you were kind of anticipating God wasn't watching. Maybe it wasn't a lot, but I bet you did something. I bet you did something that now you think, oh yeah, God's watching. Mm, wish you hadn't seen that. Why do we do that? I mean, are we counting on him not seeing or do we think, uh, you know, I know God probably sees, but kind of hoping he doesn't care. K- kind of hoping it's, it's no big deal. I mean, you know, it's so small. Aren't all, I don't know about your sins, all of mine are very, very small. <laughs> very, I mean, I know it's not right, but 
Who's to notice? Why would you care if you notice? It's so small. I don't know. I feel like God's probably saying here, I saw, I care. Isn't he? I, I saw and, and, and I care. Now, you and I would read this story and we would say, boy, Achan sinned, didn't he? I mean, Achan just straight up ignored a command. But chapter 7, verse 1 and verse 11 both say, Israel sinned. And even in light of what we just saw in 618, I know most of us, if not all of us, are still thinking, that doesn't sound fair. It doesn't, it doesn't sound fair that, that, that 36 soldiers lose their lives, that his family loses their life because of something he did wrong. But that's a little bit of our Americanism, our individualism, our independent speaking, because God gave the command to all. And he said, all together you arrive at obedience. You watch out for each other. You help each other. And you get to the finish line. You get to obedience all together. Folks, would you you look at that line? Because nobody in this room, nobody at Midlothian, nobody watching online, none of us lives by that principle. None of us. Here's Here's our principle. I got my problems, you got your problems. I'll mind my own business, you mind your own business. And to that, God says, no. That's not how this works. We do watch out for each other. We are to care about all together arriving there, holy, faithful, and obedient. And then Achan's family. And what do you do with that? Now the scripture, the scripture doesn't say this, but I believe Achan's family is guilty. That's just me guessing. And part of the reason I make that guess is because God is just. Okay, God doesn't do anything you read in scripture and think, boy, that doesn't seem fair. Or anything you look out at in life and saying, God's not being fair. You're just not working with the right information. God is always just. God is always fair. Understand, folks, God is not meeting the standard of fairness. He is fairness. Fairness meets the standard of God. So whatever's going on here, God is being fair. I believe the family is guilty. As a matter of fact, if you stop and kind of think about this, it's more likely that they're guilty than not. Now you say, what do you mean they're, they're guilty? They know. I mean, think of the context. Aiken's not coming home to a 2,000 square foot home, running out to the backyard, hiding it in the shed that only he goes into, and, and then locking it and then acting like he's got nothing. He lives in a tent. And this isn't a nice big fancy tent. This is a nomadic people. This is a pick up and go at any moment tent. How much can you hide from a family in a tent? I think he comes home and he's got to say, I mean, if you steal something that looks good on you, you want somebody to see it, right? How do you like these digs? I am. Go ahead. I'm looking good. It's all right. I know it. We all know it. Oh, you show somebody that. I, they knew. Did they, did they know and agree? Did they know and disagree? I mean, there's a chance that somebody in the family said, Hey, Dad, didn't Joshua say? I don't know if they agreed or disagreed, but I know this. They did nothing. See, they were not careful 
about obedience. They were not careful about detail. So here we are. It seems like a pretty significant moment. Like it or not, understand it or not, there's a bunch of bodies laying here on the ground. And, and there's a fire and all this stuff is burning. Seems like I should learn something right here. What about y'all? Before we all head back to our own tents, don't you think maybe, is, is there, was I supposed to have gotten something here? I think there's three things we need to walk home with from Achan's tent. Number one, holiness is detailed. There's so many things in Joshua 7, I think we don't live that way at all. <laughs> you know, if I asked you, hey, how, how'd you do this week? Were, were you holy? Were, were you godly? I, I'm guessing most of it would be, be my response. And yeah, mostly, <laughs> kind of. Well, other than Thursday, I think pretty good. Other than Thursday. But folks, when I look at Joshua chapter 7, it doesn't seem like holiness. It doesn't seem like obedience is a kind of sort of deal. Obedience is giving, holiness is giving careful attention to what God is saying. And then total obedience to it. You know what, folks, one day you and I will stand before the living God, whether you believe in him or not, whether you're saved or not, you will one day stand before the living God in all of his beauty, in all of his truth, in all of his glory. And within 30 seconds, I don't know how long it'll take, but I think it'll be one of the very first thoughts you have. When you look at him, you're going to think he was so much more worthy than I gave. I did not give the kind of attention this deserved. I did not give the kind of attention that he is worthy of in holiness and obedience. And doesn't faith mean that I look out toward that day and start living like it today? Isn't that what faith is? I know that day's coming. I believe in that day. I know that's what the scripture describes for me. Maybe I should start living like that right now. Holiness is, is detailed. You know, a, a lot of us, as we are going through the Bible this year, a lot of us are, are reading the Bible on, on our own. And, and if you're doing that, no matter what plan you're using, you're probably in about Deuteronomy right now. Deuteronomy, Joshua, does that sound about right? A little bit of old, a little bit of new, or however you're doing it, that's a, about where you are. Which means you've already read that back half of Exodus and all of Leviticus. I mean, shouldn't we get shirts that say, I read Leviticus and survived? <laughs> you complained while you were reading it, didn't you? I know you did. You mumbled under your breath a little bit. <laughs> Man, Exodus 21 to 40 and Leviticus is just a, is just a mountain of detail. And, and, and not only that, it's kind of a mountain of detail that mostly isn't applicable to us. It's a mountain of detail about how to build a tabernacle. We're not going to build a tabernacle. It's a mountain of detail about priestly clothing. We're not going to be making any of that. And then just a huge amount of detail about sacrifices. What sacrifices for what sins? What sacrifices for what ceremonies? What's the procedure of the sacrifices? What's the recipe for the sacrifices? Chapter after chapter after chapter of this. And praise God, we don't need any of that. Jesus is one sacrifice for all sins, for all people. Amen, right? 
Woo, yeah, we praise the Lord for that. So when all of that is there, and I'm not going to do any of that, and yet the Bible tells me that all of God's word, that includes Leviticus, all of God's word is inspired, and here's the big one, and profitable. It profits my life. How does it profit my life to read Leviticus if so much of that is, is something I'm not ever going to do? Well, folks, when we're in there, aren't we learning something about God? Like two things. Number one, well, number one is the number one of this point. Holiness is detailed. As you read through Leviticus, you should be getting the idea, wow, God seems to be really detailed. This whole concept of following him, worshiping him, obeying him is a very detailed issue. It's not a kind of sort of mostly except on Thursday. The second thing I think we walk away from that is no matter how clear God is, no matter what he explains, we still disobey. You, you, you ever not done what you're supposed to? Yes. And, and so then here comes the boss, here comes your dad, here comes the teacher, here comes the coach, and they caught you not doing what you were supposed to do. And almost always our initial response is going to have something to do about their lack of clarity, isn't it? Well, I, 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 di- I didn't know you meant that. Well, I didn't understand that you wanted it. Yeah, you know, we're going we're gonna to defend ourselves by talking about their lack of, of clarity, whether it's the truth or not. You can't read Leviticus and say, you know, God, I just don't get what your point is. You know, God, if you could just clarify here what you, what, what you mean. There, there's no lack of clarity there, and yet we still disobey. You realize, folks, our entire approach to Scripture is the... Well, it's just so much like Achan, isn't it? It's no big deal. It's kind of small. Who's looking? This does, I don't think this even has any... I don't think this applies here. I, I don't think we believe like that today. You know, it's interesting. Aaron, Moses had a brother named Aaron. Aaron was the, the high priest. Aaron had a couple of sons who helped him in the priesthood. And, and for seven straight chapters in Leviticus, seven straight chapters, God's giving all this detail about how to do the sacrifices. And then you get to chapter 10. The first time, not a year later, because you know as time goes, we get a little sloppy, right? No, the, the very first time, It says, Nadab and Abihu, that's Aaron's sons, offer up a strange fire to the Lord. That that word strange there, all that really means is they monkeyed with the recipe. Where's that? We don't have it? It's out in the warehouse? Oh, don't, let's not waste time going. Let's just use this. It won't matter. It won't matter. It won't matter. It won't matter. It's no big deal. Nobody's watching. It won't matter. Who sees? Who cares? This is tiny. This is small. Folks, we need to hear Joshua 7 saying, it matters. Holiness is detailed. Boy, the second thing we need to see with Achan, our sin affects others. Achan's sin cost 36 soldiers their lives. It, it seemed to engage whatever level of guilt or knowledge the family had there. It, it ultimately cost their lives. Folks, there is no such thing. 
This is, a, this is something we've made up in our heads. There is no such thing as private sin. There is no such thing as this isn't hurting anybody else. Your most private sin that nobody on the planet knows about is impacting people on the planet. There's no such thing. It doesn't exist. What doesn't exist is our ability to take God at his word and see the connections. See, I just don't see the connection that my attitude over here, my little sin over here, this behavior, this character quality that's been going on. I don't see the connection to what's going on in my kids' lives over here. I don't, I don't, I don't make the connection. I don't see how it's affecting a friend of mine over here. I don't... I'm not responsible for how it affects the church. It doesn't even affect... What I'm doing right or wrong over here, that doesn't affect the whole church. God says it does. Do you you realize this principle buried deep in the Old Testament, Joshua 7, is more taught in the New Testament than it is the Old Testament? It says the very second you receive Christ as your Savior and Lord, you were put into the body of Christ. Not body like a big, large group of people. Body like a human body. Jesus is the head and we're the body. We're all the parts. When one of my parts is broken, the whole body knows, right? And the whole body is now less. Now, my body may figure out how to keep functioning. My, my body may figure out how to keep going without an appendix or, or with a broken finger. I guess some parts are a little bit more difficult to go on without like a brain. No, lots of you move on without a brain. Clearly we can do that. So, you know, folks, I mean, clearly the body figures out how to keep going, Right? But folks, because the body keeps going doesn't mean it's 100%. You know, I read this and I try to imagine, what would the church be? What would, what would we be if we were 100%? 100% of us devoted to walking in godliness and holiness. 100% of us realizing how I live this week impacts the health and the strength of our church. My sin impacts this church and weakens it. I wonder how many of us are going to stand before the Lord and the Lord's going to say, look what you did. You weakened my body. You hurt my body. We're going to do the same thing we do to our boss and our coach. and We're going to make it sound like that's his fault. You weren't clear. I didn't know anything about that. I didn't didn't know how I was living was was impact. Yeah, you did. I saw you. I saw you there. March 24th, 2019. What? That's last Sunday. March 31st, that's why I'm not God. (laughs) March 31st, 2019. I saw you sitting there. I saw you read Joshua 7. You did know. Do you realize just by the fact you're here today, you can never again for the rest of your life pretend like a little gossip. Because gossip's such a small sin, right? Being negative Being lustful, stealing, impacts the church. You can never again pretend like that's not the case. You are already going to be held accountable. Now you're being held accountable with knowledge. You do know. Number three, folks, when we're not right with the Lord, we can't stand before our enemies. Isn't that what God told them? 
Y'all are not okay. You're not where you belong. You're not going to be able to stand before your enemies. It's just real simple, man. If, if Listen, if I'm not where I belong, I'm weaker. And if I'm weaker, the people around me, family, friends are weaker. Because I can't be for them. I can't be a part with them what I'm supposed to be. So now they're weaker. The church is weaker. And since we're all weaker, I'm in jeopardy. You're in jeopardy. The family's in jeopardy. We're, we're all weaker now before the Lord. One really small example. Praying. When I'm, when I'm in sin, my prayer life is not as effective, right? We understand that. I can't pray as effectively when I'm in sin. So now I can't cover my kids in prayer. They miss out on what my prayers could have been, might have been for them had I not been in sin. My church misses out on what my prayers could have been. You and I may wonder what difference does prayer make? I don't know if I can explain that to you or not. All I can say is God said it makes a difference. And God said, you're to be praying for your church. So many of us, the body of Christ is something we stay loosely connected to. I don't really, I'm not really worried about whether anybody knows me when I come in and out of here or not, whether I'm engaged or involved, but that's not what God says. And how can you pray for a church if you don't know what that church is doing? If you don't know the people in that church, if you don't know the people who need prayer, do you see how much weaker we are? We put everybody at risk. Now, folks, we're, we're, we're not weaker before enemies that we're trying to beat in a battle. You know, ours is a different kind of weakness today. You and I have not been sent out to conquer a nation. Matter of fact, some people read Joshua and, and books like this in the Old Testament and struggle with it because it, it kind of sounds like God is, well, it's not kind of. He's sending, he's sending them to do genocide, Right? Wipe out those people. We're going to read that and say, what? That doesn't sound very nice. (laughs) That doesn't sound good. You know, if you understand the history of the land they're entering and the people that are there, uh, these are a vile, wicked people. What they did in murder, what they did in murdering children, which should concern us, their sexual practices and, and how they approach that, their, their idolatry. The bottom line, folks, is sin is always judged. Just because you got away with it today doesn't mean it's not being judged. Sin will always be judged. And when God's wrath falls on sin, here's the good news. There's a hiding place. It's called the cross of Jesus Christ. Folks, when you and I come to Christ, it's not that our sin's not judged. It's this that I'm hiding under Jesus and he caught it. He caught the wrath of God for me. He caught the judgment of my sin. That's what's happening at the cross. That's what we're saying when we say, I trust in the cross. I trust in Christ. But all sin is judged because that's what holiness does. Holiness cares about justice. Holiness and justice care about details. God always care that a right and a fair thing has been done, which means all sin will be judged. These nations are being judged. If you want to read a little bit about that explanation, Deuteronomy chapter 9, write that down. Deuteronomy chapter 9, God explains to Israel how he's going to use them. And then he says, and by the way, while I'm using you to bring judgment on these nations, don't think I'm using you because you're so clean and pretty. 
But Deuteronomy 9 will explain a little bit about that. But folks, under the age of the church, God is not sending us out to conquer nations. He's sending us out to do what? Share the gospel. We carry the good news. Hey man, God's judgment is coming. His wrath is awful. But good news, he's created a hiding place. He has created a place where you can go and you can come up under Christ and you can be saved from your sins and you can know God's love and forgiveness. Do you realize that is the purpose of the church? When I'm a part of the church, when I'm faithful to the church, then I'm a part of the purpose of the church to carry the gospel. When I'm so wrapped up in my sin... When the only reason I read the Bible is to tell myself I'm okay because I don't think God really does that anymore. Well, I don't think we even believe that part. Well, I don't think this really counts. When I'm over here all involved in my sin, guess what I'm not involved in doing? Sharing the good news. And what's that mean, folks? That means just like in Joshua chapter 7, people are dying. But they're not dying for a moment. They're dying and going to hell for all eternity. And I'm just worried about if I look good in this jacket. Is this my size? Thank you. Folks, should there be a week of our life that we're not thinking about what am I doing to make our church stronger? How is my life? And this isn't about, did you sign up to volunteer? Are are you praying? I'm just talking about your walk with the Lord. Are you weighing how your walk with the Lord contributes to the health and strength of this place? Or will in this coming week, the heights grow a little weaker? Because I just thought it didn't matter. You notice I say that looking forward because looking backwards is just too discouraging. <laughs> I mean, if to, to all of us to say, hey, let's look back over the last seven days. Are we a better, stronger church because of your walk with Christ? Or are we a little weaker today? It's not a very encouraging chapter, is it? I, I honestly, I don't know how anybody, anybody in here, starting with the guys standing up here, can talk about how good they feel about themselves right now. Makes me really grateful for Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. At the end of the day, all I've really got is that hiding place. All I've really got is the cross. But folks, we need to understand something about forgiveness. We need to understand something about having the ability to say, well, I'm still going to heaven. Well, I still have God's love and forgiveness. Folks, there's not one verse in the Bible that says forgiven sin doesn't hurt me. Forgiven sin doesn't hurt others. Do you know why that verse is not there? Because it does hurt. We're confusing forgiveness and meaning there should be no consequences for everything I've deemed small, unimportant, nobody sees, nobody should care. You may be loved and you may be forgiven. But your sin is hurting the people you love the very most. 
Your sin is impacting your family. It's impacting your friends. And it is impacting the health and strength of this church. And I'm pretty sure God's saying here, I see it. And I care. And you're going to be held accountable. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you with with an understanding of two, three, four spiritual principles here in Joshua 7 that almost none of us live by at all. Thank you that, that watching us reject you, reject your details, reject obedience, make up our own obedience. Lord, there's so many of us here. We set the standard and tell you what you should be happy with with us. Thank you that in watching us doing that, you would create that hiding place. Thank you for your love and your forgiveness. God, may we be motivated not by fear, not not by a scary God. God, may we be motivated by your love to care about what you care about. To approach our walk with you, to approach the church with detail. With a devotion to the detail of obedience. There's a world dying and going to hell. Suffering is going on. And we're worried about how we look in a jacket. God, would you forgive us? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.